0: welcome to the Women in ERP podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Allman, a founder of the Women in ERP platform. Joining me today is my co-host, Stephanie Paul. Stephanie is a sales manager for ERP vendor IFS, and she's also a huge advocate and champion for women in ERP. Hi, Steph. Hey, Abby. We are joined today by a true trailblazer in the world of ERP, Vicky O'Neill-King. Vicky is the Chief Operating Officer for Sapphire and has been with them for almost 15 years. An incredible feat. Now, we have had Chris Gabriel on the show before. He's the CSO for Sapphire. Uh, He was on season one. And it's clear that Sapphire are doing something right by retaining their elevated level of talent. So we cannot wait to hear from you, Vicky. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to the world of ERP, Vicky?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I I actually joined an ERP company in one of my first jobs when I was 21. And I got a job in the city on reception. I was there working on reception for a couple of years. And I had to, um, I I covered someone's holiday a sales admin role, um, actually. And part of that role needed to, um, they needed some consultancy. And it was almost like, you know, you get computer says no, they couldn't have a consultant on a particular day to do something. So I had a look at it. And for those couple of weeks that I was covering, I said, if you do this, this, and this, and you move that consultant there and that consultant there, we can fill all of the jobs that we've got. So I made a play to look after the consultants there, which I did. And um, I I built a PMO team and we increased their utilisation by about 20% just by approaching everything in a different way. And, uh, And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was there for about 12 years, created and built a PMO team as we grew. And then I moved across to Sapphire in 2008 to come across to this. This is obviously an ERP, um, digital transformation business now, um, to to move across to build and lead a PMO team here. And I've been here since 2008, but that's what I joined here as, is um, to come in and build a PMO and, um, yeah, just move through, looking after professional services and spread out into operations and
0: now COO. Yay. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And have you found that path to C-suite particularly challenging as a woman? You know, me personally,
1: I have to say that I haven't. I know a lot of women that have struggled with uh, moving into leadership roles or just in sales roles in particular, because look, it is male dominated, right? And and I've heard stories of women that have gone into meetings and been treated differently, treated unfairly, maybe with pay and with promotions and things like that. I personally haven't experienced that through my journey. Um, It could just be maybe I have experienced it and I haven't cared enough to take much notice of it and I brush over it. I think it says a lot more about the people that are treating people like that than it does about, obviously, the individual that it's happened to. But I also think that I've been very, very fortunate, particularly at Sapphire, probably one of the reasons why I have been here for so long, in that it's, it's always been an incredibly supportive leadership team, albeit all, all males at, you know, at, the, at the C-suite le- level other than myself. But when I joined here, I had a young son. And I, I don't ever recall um, really having the struggles. And you, you can just see the path that I took from coming in as a PMO, resource and working all the way up through these 15 years while bringing up, I think Jake was eight when I joined. Uh, and like I said, a single mum, so having to go and do school runs and things like that. So I totally acknowledge and appreciate a lot of the challenges that women have. I don't feel like I've personally experienced them, but I, I know that, that they definitely exist.
0: You've almost taken them in your stride, haven't you, and just got on with it?
1: <laughs> well, um, there's probably a little bit of that. Right. And that probably does come a little bit down to personality. I'm uh, pretty competitive, quite confident naturally and do just take the ball by the horns, I guess. So I think that what we see with a lot of the women's, you know, we started this female mentoring scheme earlier this year. And there's there's just not a lack of skill and a lack of talent whatsoever. It's a lack of confidence.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I completely agree.
1: All the way through my career, every role, bar the COO role, which was a promotion, I created myself. So I saw a gap and said, oh, I think that we could be better there. And I, I know just the person that can do it and was brave enough to, to approach the leadership team and say, I think I should do this. And I think that that's, that's what's lacking with a lot of females. And I don't know if it's just in ERP or just generally, you know, across all industries, that it's a lack of confidence.
0: Why do you think you don't have that? Do you think it's the way you're raised or just innate within you that you are brave? Um, do you mean me
1: or do you mean just generally with women why they might have it?
0: Um, I mean you. What do you think's made you sort of resistant to that imposter sort of syndrome-y stuff? Um, well,
1: I wouldn't say that I'm completely resistant to it. I do question myself sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes um, I look and see what I've achieved, and I think, "Oh my God, how have I even, how have I even got there?" My dad says to me, "Vicky, you've blagged it." Like how? <laughs> how have you done it I mean if you'd have known me when I was 14 15 I was if I if I say I was a rascal that would be an understatement I left school I didn't sit I didn't do my GCSEs I didn't do any higher education um I'm one of three girls we're all very very close in age my dad was actually the Great Britain Olympic rowing coach all the way through our childhood and I think that He has made us very competitive. My husband says to me, I've never met such a competitive family. We compete against each other. And I think that it's just so natural to us that we don't realise we're doing it. And when I met and married my husband, he's always said to me, it's not competition. And I think it is. (laughs) Out of interest, what number are you in the pecking order? Oh, I'm the middle one. I'm I'm the middle one. Yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. I only ask that because I'm one of four girls. And I do think there is something in that in terms of just naturally, like you say, you're competitive. I think it's the environment you grow up in. We like it now, Steph. And it's not just, I mean, my younger sister is very, very high up in a data mining company, but she was very high up in Oracle. And my older sister, we're all in ERP. There was a time, actually, that all three of us worked at Sapphire um, for a period of years. And uh, my older sister is actually very successful in ERP at NetSuite as well. But we compete against each other kind of more subtly, I guess, in a career way but I mean, weight, dressing, all kind of things like that. There'll be things if we're having a family thing where I thought, oh, right, I've got a juice for a week because I have to be slimmer than my sisters when I go there. <laughs> so there's still this whole competitiveness. Yeah, no, I relate to that as well. <laughs> Going back to the career side of it, though, do you think just being in the environment, like you, you've spoken about stuff, do you think that it's just being in more of a progressive company, like like you say, you're surrounded by a lot of men. Do they? Yeah. Do, do you think it's just that you've had the right support system as well to kind of Lift you up? I, d- I don't think that you can deny that because there's definitely other businesses that are not as supportive. Yeah. And the leadership team has always been about the output, always open to ideas. I mean, when we put the pool scheme to our CEO, he didn't bat an eyelid with it, even though we'd only done a female mentorship scheme like six months before. And at the back of my mind, I was thinking, are people going to think you've got a female COO and now it's just this you know feminism all the way and it's all about women and and what about the men? And you have to find that balance, right? Because all of this should not be at the detriment to men at all. But I do think that, that 100% I've just been very lucky. And when I've gone to anyone and said, I've got this idea or you know, just about the output and the flexibility of the hours that you need as a young mum. And then what we're trying to do with the kind of the other women around the support they need from the menopause point of view. If you can prove that it's about the output, then there's no argument for it to be any other way. But having a leadership, if you've got a male leadership team, having them be open minded, you know, that's, that's crucial. Right. Because if not, you've got this hurdle that you've got to try and get over immediately. And I haven't had that. So I've been very lucky, very lucky there for sure.
0: And you have been the driving force behind a lot of these initiatives. Now, where do you think your passion for that has come from? Is it just from being a woman yourself? You know, you don't have to change the world, but I think you you want to. What is it that inspires you to do that? Well, if I'm completely
1: honest, there's a little bit of selfishness in there, I guess, as well. Because if we can take some of the females that we've got, and give them the support that they need, our business, me personally, in our business will be so much more successful. So the ratio of male to women that we have here is almost 40-60 now because some of the things that we brought in earlier in the year, making sure that women are represented in the interview stage, it doesn't mean that we will give a female a job if they're not the right person. It just means they get an opportunity in the interview stage. Yeah, level well. If you can give them the right support, like the mentoring for the younger generation that are coming through, give them that confidence, help them understand about imposter syndrome, managing up all of those things. And then also support the women that are starting to go through the menopause and that they need things. And then, you know, there's the neurodiversity and all of those things. It will make the business more successful, myself in turn. So, that's what I mean about a sense of selfishness in it. And that's where I think our leadership team, the male ones are very open-minded about having all of these things. And I think that it's only been probably more in recent years. I met someone, a lady called Yvonne, who runs the channel community. And she spoke to me about the female mentoring. And I hadn't really been an advocate for it before. And um, I'd been asked to do a lot of speeches around uh, women in tech and women this and women that. And I always thought if you want me to come and speak to you about how I got to my position and I'll speak to men and women, then I'll be happy to. But I didn't really want to just be, like, constantly pushing women. And Yvonne spun it in a different light for me because she she has made me realise that there is a lot of people who haven't have been as fortunate as me. And if I can help those younger women that are coming through. She actually said to me, you've got a duty, Vicky, to do it. And I'd never really looked at it like that before. But she's quite, she's quite blunt, which is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we've done. I think that the, the, the mentoring scheme that we do, you get so much out of it as well. Yeah, it's a two-way street. Absolutely, it really is. So, um, you know, it's a little bit like, um, I, I think we'll come on to ESG, won't we? But it's like you feel like you're adding something else. It's more, you're more than just a number. You're more than just coming in and, you know, doing the sales and, and hitting all of the numbers. You feel like you're adding value.
0: Yeah, agreed. And just like going back now to your role as COO and for those people that are listening that don't understand what a COO is, what does your role entail? What do you do on a daily basis?
1: It's the most important role in the company, right? (laughs) So I think so. So at Sapphire, I'm responsible it's around. It's going to be about, about around 75% of the workforce. So we're about 425, 430 people at the moment. Um, so it's it's all of the operations. So it's professional services, it's support, our hosting cloud offering that we've got, all of our facilities around the world. We're in the UK, across the US, Manila, Mexico, Mumbai, Lebanon, South Africa. Um, so we've got quite a, a widespread. So all of the facilities admin business transformation um HR people so it's really broad but you never really know what you're going to come into and that's I think that's what's challenging and always exciting it's not always exciting on the day when you come in and you've got to deal with something but it's it's pretty broad but um yeah I, I do really enjoy it I always say I've found a role where I am able to just um not boss people around, but I can just do do this, do this, do this, and uh, yeah, I, I do love to say delegate. Yes, <laughs> the glue that holds it all together. that's the way I say it. Yeah, I genuinely think that my career, as I came up, th- uh, so I sat my project management exams in my in my twenties and did a fair bit of project and then program management, and that's how I ended up looking after the professional services team here. That structure really does give you a really good benchmark to be organized and to be able to to delegate and I think it's a great stepping stone to operations uh, project management I do yeah
0: and it it does sound really sort of high powered and busy and you have got a son how do you manage that the work-life balance um,
1: I think I, I'm a really careful planner um if you, my husband says I plan, I have to plan everything. So I'm always planning our weekends in advance. So I'm a little bit like I need to know what's going to happen. So I plan my day. So I always know what I've got in my diary a week in advance. And I'm always prepared for it. Wow. This is insane. I know.
0: I know. <laughs> I'm quite similar though. I like structure and kind of like knowing what's coming. I dream of like you. Oh. <laughs>
1: So I leave gaps in my diary as well. So I won't ever block myself out from nine to five on back to back meetings. So I always know that something is going to slap you around the face in, in any given day or week. So it's having that, but also taking the time to... Do what you need to first. So I'll, I'll try to go for a run or walk the dogs. If I'm working at home, always make sure that my day is not going to start until I've I'm, I'm had the opportunity to do that. I do that in the morning because I'll probably not get round to it if I don't. So looking after yourself. But um, yeah, I'm a bit of a planner. So Do you build into that me time and downtime and, and all of that? I do, but I have to do it first thing in, in the morning, Abby, because if I say, let me build that in between three and five something will have come up that won't allow me to do it. So I'll block stuff out. And I've got things, I do block out time in my diary, which is just blocked out. I'm a little bit of an over-communicator and over-sharer, so I will block out uh, dog walk or going for a run, or I've got tennis or I've got things like that. Someone messaged me the other week, it was from our Argentinian office, and they said, I just want to let you know, Vicky, that I can see that you're playing tennis on Wednesday. I can see that you're going there. And I said, oh, I don't mind. It does, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. I think I don't block it out as private. I'm quite, because again, it comes back to that whole output. If I'm delivering what I need to deliver, what difference does it make if I choose to do it starting at 10 o'clock and finishing later? If that suits my lifestyle. So true. It's all about the boundaries, isn't it? In terms of. It comes back to having that confidence, doesn't it, of going, well, I know that I'm going to deliver this and I can deliver it in what suits me and I think it all kind of ties back to the confidence and the imposter syndrome and the mentoring that people need to be able to say I've got this, I can do it I'm going to do it this way not just the typical way 9 to 5 is is so last year (laughs) It is I can't remember when it was last 9 to 5 to be honest
0: (laughs) I don't think I've ever done 9 to 5 Exactly, I know I know You've just launched a really groundbreaking menopause policy um, that we both agree is a really incredible step forward within this tech sector. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, why you've introduced that and what are the reasons for, for bringing it in and why is that significant, do you feel? I think, look, look,
1: it's always a taboo subject, isn't it? Um, And I think it's becoming more and more out there, right? And More people are are starting to talk about it. It isn't just about helping the women understand and having the support for the women. We had to launch a policy and involve all of our male colleagues in it as well. Because If the vast majority of the males, it's not actually the vast majority of the males that are managers, but if a number of the males are managers and you just have a policy or something that only the women know about, that's going to fail at the first hurdle if the guys are not involved in it. So again, goes back to the fact that we were very lucky and they're supportive. But um, it was actually our head of ESG, Janice, that, that brought the initial idea to me. And um, it started around a year ago. And I thought we should just keep it a little bit quiet. Let's just do it for the women and let's have them all in a room and say, look, we're going to do this. And she was very vocal with me, saying, no, 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 we must do it and we must include anyone. And we went back and forth on that for a few months. And then, I if I'm really honest, it's a timing thing. I'm of a certain age, I'm going to be uh, 49 in the new year. And there's things that I'm experiencing now, like forgetting things, can't quite get my words out. Um, I mean, it's to the extreme where I went on one of my morning dog walks and forgot to take my dog with me. So I know <laughs> it's bad. Right. But you hear these stories about brain fog, forgetfulness yeah. and all of these things, and you think, oh, I don't even really know what that means. I mean, what how bad can it be? And it starts happening to you and you think, God, this is really going to be a problem if I'm in a boardroom. And I'm trying to express myself, and I I can't remember what your name is or what I'm trying to say. So I think if I'm really honest, it was really when it started to become a bit of a problem for me that I realised how serious it was and how much we then needed to support all of the other women because they're typically, I mean, maybe not so much for me. So Jake's nearly 25 now, but there's a lot of women where their kids are now just getting to an age where they're late teens. We've got a couple of ladies here that said, I'm I'm ready now to, to go into the second phase of my career. But they're doing that at a time when they've got all of this stuff going on with the menopause that's totally out of their control. Mm-hmm. And... We just, I think it's about recognising it, understanding what you can put in place, really simple things like temperatures in a room. If you need to work from home certain days of the month, I mean, we have a very flexible policy anyway, but having a, a couple of menopause champions that you can go and speak to. So we're really proud of the policy and it's You've got the mentoring, which is, it's not predominantly for, for the younger generation, but they probably get a bit more value out of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's just this real support for women of my age. <laughs> say that.
0: Supporting your, your male employees to support their wives and partners as well as part of that.
1: Do you know what, Abby, when we launched it, um there were as many males on the launch as there were females. And I was mm-hmm. it, a little bit taken aback by it, but it was it was really, really interested and they were really engaged in it, asking questions. It was very interactive. But like you say, most of them have got wives of of similar ages, but they've got some of these women working for them. And it was really um, quite humbling actually to see all of the men on it and showing such interest as well. So yeah, it's it's one of those feel-good factors that you get, you know, when you've done something and you think, oh, that. That was a good
0: idea yeah agreed <laughs> sounds yeah, great and another one you've uh, introduced as well your neurodiversity network yeah now that's an interesting one because how do you manage such a diverse team of employees and then support them through their career progression when they are so multifaceted so how how does your neurodiversity network work I think
1: it's really what what we want to do is pay um, special attention to the personal needs of all the employees. And if you can appreciate and understand that some operate and function better in a certain environment... It's about getting the most out of them. And we've got certain things that that will accommodate them, like mental health programs and physical environments. Um, But it does just come back as treating everyone as individuals and you're not just a number. And if somebody needs some kind of different support network around them to help them exceed or excel or even just function and operate properly at work, then we have a duty as an employer to do that, But again, it goes back to that. It's in our interests too, because there are women that are young that need support. There are women that are middle-aged that need support. And there are many, many people with neurodiversity that also need support. So, you know, it's just about making the best working environment that we can to get the best out of people.
0: And is that through communication? Are you talking to people to see what they need and trying to, you know, tailor their environment to that? Or is it where you have, you know, your HR teams in there and you do the, we've all done them, the quizzes about what colour you are and (laughs) where you fit on the team leader scale and all of that? Or is it a one-to-one conversation? Look, you know, what do you need? Some of it will be one-to-one, but a lot of it is through our um, our
1: head of ESG and we have an ESG committee. And first of all, it's about launching something to say, hey, if you're experiencing any of these things, if you feel that you fit in any of these categories, we have policies and we can accommodate things like that that will help you and give first of all, people the confidence to know that they're not on their own and they can come forward and say, I need to have this work environment or I need to have this kind of support. So um, I think first and foremost, it has to come from the top to show that we are supportive and open. And then when it comes to people talking, they'll probably either go to their manager ESG or via our HR team however they feel most comfortable whoever they feel more comfortable talking to about it but it's going to be one of those a few people will come forward and then gradually more and more
0: I think yeah, yeah it gains traction yeah for sure and you are now a award-winning manager you've just won manager of the year at the CRN awards I did
1: yeah
0: congratulations
1: thanks so it was um well I'd had a few. Um, have you ever had those baby Guinnesses? They're like a little shop with um, Tia Maria and Bailey's and all of those things in. So I'd had a few of those before I went up on stage and I'd already taken my heels off because I think when you went through lockdown, you're just so used to kind of trainers and flat shoes, weren't you? You put a pair of heels and a dress on, the heels were off under the table. And then when they called my name, I was. I, w- I wasn't expecting it because I've never even been to a CRN awards before, let alone be nominated. And I got to the finalist, and obviously, you know, the competition is is huge there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so a few baby Guinnesses in, and completely barefoot, I went up and and got the award. Wow. <laughs> It's authentic. I think that's great. There was a photo and I sent it to my dad and he said I I would just look like I was knocking the woman who was presenting me the awards out the way and just kind of getting to the front and and showing my award. It's a really nice award, actually. It's a glass one. And um, I took it home and my husband was just like, oh, my God how am I going to live with you now you're, manager, now you're manager of the year? And I had it out for a little while. but I, I wasn't getting enough applause for it, I think, at home. So I've brought it in now and I have it on my desk, see if I can get a little bit more credit.
0: I love <laughs> it. No, you should absolutely be proud of that achievement. Um, it's really clear that you're deeply passionate about supporting people around you. It's so important that we have women like you at the top because essentially you're paying it forward. For us, do you have any advice for any other senior women how they can get board buy in for their ESG initiatives? Well,
1: um, I don't know. I think, look, with anything, right, if you're going to take anything to a board, a board is going to want to know what their return on investment is and whether that's a financial for a project or something you want to invest in or something with the ESG. And with the ESG, I feel like. There's so much reward in that, and there's so much return in it because you can attract and retain talent by having a strong ESG program. Without a doubt, it's something that's very, very important, and we see that in our interview cycles all of the time. So just that alone, I think, is is just a really big thing if you are trying to do something else. But it makes your current employees really feel like they're adding value and just having those those nice moments. We actually do some work with some, um, some underprivileged schools in the local area and we had a class of school kids in here earlier in the week and I came into the office and I had I had a pretty tough day ahead of me that day and then we had these kids in and Janice brought them in to meet me and she said to them she explained who I was and then she said what would you like to ask Vicky you know based on what she does in the business and one of them said to me can you lend me five pounds? (laughs) That's that's confidence. uh, Exactly yeah so and then the other young girl said to me what do you spend all your money on and I was like well actually clothes shopping Um, and they said do you save any money and I said no not a penny so but it was just (laughs) like half an hour out of the day which was the, the highlight of your day and we get that often because of our ESG policy and all of the things you do so I just think that if, if you need to go and get something signed off just show retaining your talent because it's what people want to be at work for they don't just want to be a number they want to feel like they're part of a community
0: yeah as you're extremely passionate about diversity, I'd like to carry that on into the ERP conversation that we tend to have. So how important do you feel it is to have a diverse project team? You, you mean on, um, if you would implement an ERP? Implementing, upgrading, yeah. Um,
1: I think that the diversity is important. I feel like, in my experience... From a technical side, I don't know. I don't think there's any difference. You can either do the technical work or you can't. And it shouldn't make any difference whether you're a male or a female. But I think that um, I think women bring different qualities. And they're not necessarily better or worse. But whether it's an ERP implementation, or a leadership meeting or anything, I think they often have more empathy. They listen more. I, my, in my experience, I find that women tend to be more organised. The female project managers that I've worked with have tended to be stronger than some of the males. Not, I'm generalising, so so obviously not all, always, but they often have a, a slightly different approach to things, sometimes more thoughtful, and they sit back and they'll plan and structure things more than maybe diving in. And I yeah. think that on, on a project and on a project team, you need balance and you need people to challenge each other and that yin and that yang. And look, you could have an all-male project team and be very successful or an all-female one and be successful. But in my experience, having that balance and the different people in the different roles has been where I would find you to be your sweet spot. It's just... Look, we want complete equality, don't we? We want everything to be fair, but I don't think that we should come away from the fact that men and women are different.
0: I don't think we could achieve complete equality because of that. You know, we are different. We have different qualities. Yes, completely agree. So,
1: yes, I think diversity uh, would bring the breast out in a, in a project situation.
0: How do you think then, and this is for all of us, I guess, to discuss, but how do you think we can support our customers to build a more diverse project team. So is that a case of suggesting who they work with or, you know, have you got any ideas around that? I don't know that that you'd really be able to to
1: suggest to them, in terms of their project team, it's going to be who they've got in their business, isn't it, really? But certainly from a Sapphire perspective, what we're able to do because of our ratio of male to, to women in the company all of our teams are going to be diverse yeah. and that's just a, a fact of who they're going to end up getting you're never really going to be in a position where you've got a project and you say I think a woman would be better on that one um I don't think that I would feel comfortable saying that in any situation because it's so individual and there could be a, a I don't think that there's a situation where there is always going to be a role where you would very confidently say a woman will always be better at that because it's just on an individual basis. So I think the way to make sure that you get the diverse teams on a project would be for our industry to have the diversity across their professional services teams and support teams and therefore you'll just get that naturally. Yeah it tends to be in our industry very much that the women just aren't there which is why there's that imbalance it's not because they're not capable or anything it's just they're just not available exactly um and that's that's i guess a bigger problem
0: yeah Maybe as sort of leaders in this field, we need to be supporting those young girls and women to come into this field. How do we do that? I mean, you obviously have young children come into the office and you mentor and, and all of that, which is brilliant. Could we do anything within the educational system to support that? I don't know.
1: Um Chris and I have spoken about this, and obviously we've not got control over it, but encouraging more young girls to take those topics at school, you know, and and study the different things. And then going for those jobs and understanding that there is a real career through ERP and IT in the tech industry, because there is... So that's what they can do. But what we can do as employers is make sure that the support networks are there for them. So, enhanced maternity policies for them, menopause policies, neurodiversity, all of the things that we're trying to do. So that if you can get them in, then you can make sure that you can support them in the way that they need.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And through your wealth of experience in ERP, can you share any tips for ensuring ERP project success? So be that a new implementation, an upgrade, a development piece? What are your key sort of
1: takeaways? Well, you'll love this, Abby, planning. For me, whenever I, I'm approaching a project, I start at the end. So yeah. I need, I want to understand whether it's a go-live day uh, coupled with what the real objective is. If you want an ERP project to be successful, what is the end goal for the client? And it's never really just a date. It's going to be that they want to be able to do certain things in a system or they want to automate something. You have to understand that coupled with a timeline and work back from it. I find if you work towards it... It, do, it doesn't work as well so I, I always start at the end and work back and say well to get there we need to have this 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 and this and then and and, and do it that way around and communication if you haven't figured it out already I think I said it I'm a massive over communicator I tell everybody far too much um, stuff at work whether it's work related or or, or personal related I'm, I'm constantly telling my stories about getting Botox and things and uh, people find it quite amusing I'm I just don't, I think on a, on a project, communication is, I know it's, you know, everyone's going to say it, it's so key. But good or bad, people never want to give the bad news. Yeah. But the sooner you give it... The quicker you can jump onto it and the more chance you've got of being successful, your job as a project manager or a program manager or whatever your role is, is to make sure that project is successful, hits the objective, is on time. An ERP project is never going to go smoothly, right? You're always going to have bumps in the road. Know that when you set out, know that the client knows that. But if you have a, um, a forum and a structure in place that allows you to discuss those openly without worrying about what a reaction will be, and some of this again comes back to confidence, you're all you're all trying to shoot for the same thing. So proper planning, communication.
0: Yeah, and that communication is key for user adoption as well, isn't it? Involving people at the beginning you
1: know and Absolutely. then involvement throughout change management yeah and a lot of people when you're putting erp in the users from the client side are, are worried about their their jobs because there's a lot of efficiencies that will come yeah. um if you if you really want the, the project to be successful it's about engaging all of the users in the journey at the beginning so that they're not worried for their roles they understand what you're trying to do and then they'll really be bought into it because uh things fall apart in U AT, don't they? And um, you are then reliant on those users to, to really do that testing properly, otherwise. Testing, testing, testing. Absolutely. And it's the worst. Yeah. You want to get them to do their current day jobs while doing everything in that, in that system. It's all over to them. And you, you won't do that without them really wanting this new system and, and needing it. And they're not going to want to need it unless they really understand why, why it's happening in the first place and that they don't need to be worried for their roles
0: absolutely well thank you so much for joining us today vicky it's been great oh thank you thank you both